Well, today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 9. And uh, we are going to uh, read this from the ESV. Uh, So if you want to look it up in your own Bible or if you have a Bible app, feel free to do that. Um, We're actually going to be jumping around a little bit in Genesis, as you probably noticed uh, last week we read from Genesis 4. So we're jumping ahead a little bit. But so having a Bible handy probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, We're also going to read it and we'll project the scripture up here. Again, it's Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing our sermon series where uh, we're going through the story of of God uh, found in the Bible. And, uh, you know, we've been going to the beginning. We've been going to some of these foundational stories, trying to find how do we build a a firm foundation uh, that can be built in Christ. And uh, so, you know, a lot of these stories, uh, I'll be honest, uh, they're about sin, and we've been talking about sin for the past couple of weeks. And I did want to mention just off the top uh, that sin, it's, it's more than just doing bad things, as we mentioned before, just kind of little recap. Uh, but sin is being off. It's missing the mark. As in Greek, it's an archery term, harmatia, which means to miss the mark, miss the bullseye, right? And so it's not so much that, um, you know, we just did bad things or we're evil, you know, uh, there's definitely those connotations. You know, you can't deny that. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's a real foundational issue. It, it is about this offness that, that in many ways separates us from God, that shows that we are not God. Um, but I want to uh, just kind of uh, admit that some of the stories that we're going to be looking into, um, they're, they're challenging. They're going to challenge some of the things that, that perhaps... Uh, we like to think about ourselves. Um, But I wanted to kind of start with this uh, question uh, that maybe a lot of us ask ourselves. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Now, uh, for the illustration, I I found a picture of Mother Teresa looking at what I'm assuming is is, uh, uh, an orphan in Calcutta, right? Looking at this baby with love and you know, this woman who gave up her life and, you know, maybe what we would have, 
wanted, what maybe she would have wanted, to serve the Lord and to serve uh, very, very vulnerable people on the streets of Calcutta. And, and we look at Mother Teresa, and we look at her as kind of, uh, you know, the pinnacle of, of, you know, what a good person can be, you know? And, and so, yeah, that, that's why I use that picture. But just, you know, however you want to define that, are you a good person? I wonder, you know, how most of us would answer that. You know, uh, I, I actually couldn't find any hard and fast studies or I would have shared this with you. Um, but it is my suspicion that probably most people nowadays think that, you know, I'm basically a good person. Basically. Yeah, I'm not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect, right? But when it gets down to it, you know, it, like, like you probably heard the, the kind of uh, uh, the metaphor of like the scales. You know, if, if you had a scale of, of our life and, and you put good things on one hand and maybe not so good things on the other hand, you know, like good things, you know, like when I'm kind or generous, you know, or uh, but then maybe on the other side, the times when I'm selfish or the times when, you know, I cut that person off, <laughs> you know, just because I was in a hurry on, on the highway, you know, and, and, and I weigh all these things, you know, I mean, like, like come on, you know, I, I, I haven't murdered anyone. You know, I, I don't know about you. I'm not going to speak for anyone on this stream because I, I, I don't know all of you and your stories, but, you know, maybe, possibly, no one on the stream has ever murdered anyone, you know? Uh, maybe there's certain things where we're like, okay, you know, I, I, like, like I'm good enough, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, we're, we're pretty good, you know? But when you think about all of humanity, when you extend it, not just to yourself, but what about our community? Are, are we all basically good people? What about our city, our state? Our nation, are Americans all basically good people? Are Koreans, are Chinese, are Russians? There, there's this sense in which um, I think this becomes an important question. On one hand, because if the answer is yes, that we are all basically good people, there's a question that maybe you've asked, and I think we ask it implicitly, even if we don't say it out loud. Why do we need God? Why do we need God? Why do we need the Bible? Actually, I think that there are some people who think we don't because they believe this, because they believe that we are basically good people, so we don't need religion, right? Uh, uh, John Lennon, very famously, uh, in the song Imagine, which, you know, it's a beautiful song. Imagine all the people living something, something, something. But it's like this idea of all these people living together, right, with no impediment, right? And so one of the lyrics in that is, imagine no religion. And so what John Lennon is saying is that religion is one of the things that divides us, right? If we didn't have religion, we, we would all be okay. We would all come together, and we would be united. Do you believe that? You know, uh, uh, I, I think that in many ways, <laughs> there are many people who do, and it's part of the reason why I think organized religion is falling off, that, that belief, at least in, in a personal God, not just some kind of general spirituality, but in a personal, living, sovereign God, that it, especially the biblical God, that that's falling off, you know? Uh, so we're going to take a look at that. 
And, and, you know, think about that, that question. Are we all basically good people, and would we be better off without God? Because in many ways, that's kind of what this story is about. <laughs> so this is a very famous story, and I, I, I want to uh, challenge you uh, when you read some of these stories. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to go to the foundation of what our faith is supposed to be built on. But I do realize that a lot of the stories that we read in the Bible, especially, you know, when you go to the beginning, like Genesis, a lot of these stories are so well known that we have a very, very fixed version of this story in our minds. And so it may be because you've read a different version. You read like a children's Bible once or like a good news Bible that wasn't a literal translation or the NIV even has its own kind of interpretation. But ESV is pretty good at trying to be quite literal. And when it's not, when, when they do some interpretation, they'll tell you in the footnotes. It's not a perfect translation. There is no perfect translation, but it's the one I prefer because I do think they do a good job of trying to stick to what the text actually says instead of what we want it to say. So there's some things I want to point out in this very well-known story um, that maybe we haven't seen before or just didn't quite notice. So uh, let's take a look. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And this is a pretty big deal, right? This is technology, you know? So you imagine Adam and Eve, they're in the, the, the uh, garden, and all they got is just what they see around them. So, you know, they get like leaves, right? Like they get like fig leaves and stuff like that, you know? Um, and so just whatever they have, they just kind of like patch it together. But the idea of making bricks, right? Of taking these things and, and you know, using fire to harden them. And, and it, this is technology, right? This is advancement for humans and for civilization. And so now instead of, you know, just imagine kind of making something out of leaves and, and, and you know, twigs and, and rocks and things like that, it's not going to be very stable. But now they can make these really impressive structures that can stand. Now they can make walls, right? This is a big deal. We didn't have this before. And so they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So this is the part where I was always told, uh, uh, you know, in answer to a question, why does God sort of stop these people? Why does he disperse them? The end result, of course, is going to be that he confuses their language. He spreads them, you know, sort of, you know, throughout the earth so that they can't come together anymore. Why? What was so wrong? And this is the children's Bible version, is the people were trying to go to heaven, right? And God wouldn't have that, you know? So, so they, they're like, we're going to make a really, really big tower, and we're going to go to heaven, you know, without the help of God. You know, and so they go up there and they're like, what's up, God? And God's like, whoa, what are you doing here? Right. And then takes the tower and just right and spreads the people out and like Chinese, Korean, Turkish. Right. And just gives them other languages and boom. Right. Sends them out. That's the children's Bible version. But that's not actually what it says. Right. Some of those things maybe can be inferred. But just look at what it literally says. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. As you may know, heavens is a word that it, it can simply mean, especially when it's in the plural, 
It just means sky. Because uh, it's, it's a little complicated, but the worldview of, um, the, the biblical worldview is that there are many heavens. That's why it's plural, right? And so we sometimes just say sky, right? But sometimes you'll get this sense that heavens are closer than you think. And it's because the heavens are anything above the earth, right? So, so you see this. When uh, God created the heavens and the earth, what does he do? Right? He creates an expanse, right? And then there's the heavens above, right? There's waters above, which are clouds, right? But he creates heavens and earth. So heavens are anything that is above the earth, right? And this is why sometimes you, you kind of hear about like different tiers of heaven, going up to the seventh heaven. What does that mean? It means there are, are different tiers. So when you say heavens, it's like, the air around you, the sky, all of that stuff. But oftentimes it would mean something really, really up high, right? The sky up there. And of course, heaven can mean, especially heaven in the singular, can mean the realm of God, right? It's symbolic. God isn't actually in the clouds as far as I know. You know, I I haven't been up there. But as far as I know, it's a metaphor, right, For, for where God really is, you know, but the people probably back then, they didn't really know any better. They would just look up. They're like, well, God's not here, so he's probably in the heavens, right? And we came to call the place where God resides heaven. Does that make sense? So here, what it says is they're not saying, come, let us build ourselves a tower with its, so that will reach to heaven. It says, with its top in the heavens, way up in the sky. What are they saying, in other words? They're saying, Yo, this is cool. We can build a, a very high city and tower with our new technology, with these bricks. Let's see how far we can go. And they keep going, and they keep building higher and higher and higher and higher. Brothers and sisters, this is the invention of the skyscraper. Why do we call it the skyscraper? Because it goes up way high that it's scraping the sky scraping the heavens with its top in the heavens. And so they have created a technology. They have created a way to do something great. And notice what they say. They don't say, so we can say, what's up, God? We don't need you anymore. That's not what they say, right? Or what's up, God? We wanted to come up here to heaven without your help, which is usually the children's uh, uh, Bible version of this, right? But they say, let us... Make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What does that mean? Make a name for yourself. Have you ever wanted to make a name for yourself? I don't know. Maybe, you know, you bear the name of your father, your mother. You have their last name. People refer to you, hey, that's so-and-so's kid. And you're like, what? Don't call me that. I want to be my own person. I'm my own person, right? I'm not just so-and-so's kid. I'm Haram, you know? I'm Steve. I'm James. I'm Angelina, right? You will recognize, you know? We want to have our own name. We want to be special. This is what the people want. We want to have a name. We want to have our own name. Remember, what do we know about humanity? The way we were created, we were created in the image of God. In the image of God. 
it's almost as if the people are saying, we have been given this identity in God, but we want to make our own, right? So we're going to do something important. We're going to do something great. And when we come together as humanity, nothing can stop us. We're not going to be scattered. We're going to unite our powers. Now, the way I'm, I'm starting to, to, <laughs> to, to kind of construct this, and maybe, you know, you, you heard me say, we're going to unite our powers, and that sounds kind of evil. But is it? Is it evil? Avengers assemble. Is that evil? You know, uh, it's that moment in every superhero team where they're all scattered. And, but, you know, when they come together and when Captain America says, Avengers assemble, they can take down Thanos, right? They can do anything when their powers are united, when they put all their hands in the middle. They're like, go team! And they're really, really powerful. That's what's happening here. Is that bad? Isn't, isn't this our hope for world peace? Isn't this... Imagine John Lennon. Imagine no religion, right? We don't need any barriers. We're going to come together, and we are going to fix the earth. We're going to make everything better in love and understanding. And the subtext of this is we don't need no God. We don't need God. We've got our technology. We've got our, our united efforts. We've got all of humanity. And so you see what God does to this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord uh, said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. In many ways, God is kind of confirming that theory right? Wow, look at what they did. When they came together, they made the world's first skyscraper. It's pretty impressive. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so there's something that's kind of missing here, at least for me, logically. I want to know what goes in between that end of verse 6, where he says, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And then verse 7, where it says, Come, let us go down, and they're confused in our language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. God, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with people doing these impossible things? Isn't that good? Isn't that what we want as a society and with civilization? That we can do impossible things. Now, friends, there's something that we're missing here. And what we're missing is all of the chapters that we fast-forwarded through. Um, it's, a, it's actually a very important story. And, you know, a lot of the stories that we read are just a fraction of a chapter, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. That's a big deal. That takes a whole chapter. Genesis chapter 1, right? It takes the entire chapter, you know? God creates humans, and, you know, he does some other stuff, but humans, basically one chapter, Genesis 2. The fall of, of man... You know, it's a really watershed moment for humanity when we sin, right? When we fall away from God. That's also, you know, basically one chapter, right? These are big events. <laughs> what, the Cain and Abel thing was like just like a paragraph. And actually, this one is like a paragraph too. But there's a story that takes uh, uh, four or five chapters. 
And that's the story of Noah. We skipped that one. But it's very important. It takes four or five chapters. And this story is where humanity starts kind of just doing what they want. Right? Because remember, what was the original sin? What was the original sin? Right? Remember the, the, the fruits? Uh, maybe it was a fig. Where, where just apple just makes for a better visual. <laughs> you know, whatever it was, they took that fruit and they ate it. Why? Because they wanted to have knowledge like God. They wanted to be able to discern what was right and wrong. The original sin was humanity wanted to say, God, we don't need you. We can reason like you. We know better than you. That's the original sin, right? And, and it's disobedience, right? Because God is telling you, you don't understand these things, but if you eat this, it's going to be incredibly bad for you. You're going to die. And we say, no, 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 it's not. It looks good to us. And so we decided to take it so we could know better than God. And the result of that is disaster. I just, just want to show you here. So this is uh, Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So what ends up happening is humanity, we become so evil, so evil that God looks after, remember, when God created humanity, he was like, dude, this is the pinnacle of my creation, right? I'm going to make man in my image, right? Male and female, I will create them. So he could have this relationship with us. He looks at us. He looks at all of his creation, and he says, it is good. But when we decided that we want to know better than God, we want to call the shots, we want to make the decision, what ends up happening is we become so evil that it hurts God's heart. Is this hard to believe? What would be the natural consequence? I know maybe some of us are like, God, this is a little harsh. I'm going to kill everyone? I'm going to blot out everyone? Because that's what he says. He says, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the, the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Uh, there's going to be one exception, Noah. We're going to talk a lot more about Noah and Abraham and this idea of what a righteous person looks like. You know, and... Maybe we have an image of what that is, but I, I want to just you know, ask you to kind of put that off till next week. We'll, we'll get into that next week. I think there will be some really interesting stuff that we mine through the story of Noah and especially Abraham about righteousness. But let's just put that aside. The vast, vast majority of people, right? Everyone else who's not Noah's family, God's like, you got to go. What do you make of that? I mean, number one, this is part of the reason why it's so hard to read the Bible. Because there's stories like this. It's the stories that we don't like. Oh, man, we love the New Testament. We, we, we love Jesus with the sheep, right, on his shoulders. Jesus, come to me, little children, come. And Jesus is embracing the little children. Oh, we love that stuff. But God killing all of humanity because we are so wicked 
that he regrets that he ever created us. That doesn't make its way into very many praise songs, does it? (laughs) Oh, God, you killed everyone, right? Like, I've never heard that song, right? We don't like that. There's a lot of this Bible that's like that. It's uncomfortable, you know? But it's one of the things that I just want to kind of point out, just logically, even if you don't like it, I mean, just, you, you, you can just note that, right? Because I don't like it either. A lot of the slang stuff, I mean, there's, there's a lot of slang, especially in the, the Old Testament, you know? But to just think about it logically, if God created us, if God is God, he is well within his rights to uncreate us. Just, just think about it for a moment. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. But just maybe just let it sit there. Can can you at least entertain that, that idea? Why do we think that God doesn't have the right to uncreate us? Why? God, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you come and kill these people? No. No. I mean, God can do it anyways, right? He's God. Well, then you're not worthy of praise. Then you're not good. See, this is, this is part of the, the, the sin. And when I say sin, I'm not saying it, it means that you're necessarily this bad, terrible person, but this is the offness, is that we look at these things and we say, God, we know better than you. We know better than you. So how dare you? We look at these passages and it offends us. It offends our sensibilities. I, I, I don't like the Old Testament. I don't like the Bible. You know? And by the way, I'm just being honest. Neither do I. Man, I wish we could just kind of tear out the first two-thirds of the Bible and just skip to Jesus. It would be great. But there's something really important here that is foundational, that if you rip it out, if you ignore it, if you act like it's not there, you're going to miss it. And the foundation is this. We are off. Our understanding is off. And if we try to be God Without God, it will be disaster. How do we know this? Man, you look throughout human history. I mean, I'll just give you a couple examples. The atomic bomb. We're like, hey, let's split these atoms. Look at this technology. Look at what we can do. This is going to be great. We're going to create like renewable energy, just an energy that's way more powerful than anything that we've ever seen before. And we use it to kill on a scale that we have never seen before. This is what humanity does. We create technologies and we're like, look at this, this is so cool. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. We don't know what comes next, but God knows what comes next. I mean, were there even safety regulations back then? What do you think was going to happen to that tower? (laughs) a brick, that the humans were like, let's just keep building and building and building and building and building and building. And God's like, calm down. (laughs) You got to stop, right? I mean, we don't know. We don't know. God doesn't deem to tell us, but I think it can be inferred. I don't think good things are going to happen here. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Humans, they're doing too much. They don't know what they're doing. And we do this all the time, all the time. We create technologies. We don't even know what we're doing. We just create it because we can. 
We created social media, and it's great, but we find that there are people who have like rates of depression that they've never had before we had social media. Oh, the world's never been so connected. You know what? The world's never been so divided. They find that the tribalism and the way that we think and this kind of polarization that's happened from social media because, I mean, let's be honest, it's just about uh, attention. They're selling you attention. So you know what doesn't sell? Moderate opinions. You know what gets your attention? Extreme opinions. And so very polarized points of view, they get promoted. They want you to click on it. Not because they want to, but that's just how money is made. It's, it's an algorithm. And you keep clicking on it, you keep getting more polarized, and before you know it, Republicans are evil. No, 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 no. Democrats are evil. And, and there's people who are like, we need to change something. And the people who actually created this technology, they're like, we didn't know what we were doing. We actually thought this was going to be a force for good. But if we don't change something, in 50 years, it's going to be a civil war. That might seem a little extreme to you, but the, my point is this. We often don't know what we're doing. As human beings, we think we know what is best. We think because we can do it, we should. But I'll tell you this, we are not God, right? And our understanding is very limited. And every effort, I mean, seriously, just think about communism. Communism is a great idea. I know that like, there's so much in America that we fought it and, and we, we labeled this evil, but just the concept. Seriously, just think about the concept. Everyone lives in common. There's no classes. You just take all the money, you pull it together. Everyone makes the same amount of money. If you're a school teacher, you're a garbage collector, or if you're a doctor, everyone is the same. It's beautiful. It is the Tower of Babel, right? It is this idea that we can come together and be one. And we, in our sinfulness, in our offness, humans used it as one of the most oppressive forms of government. So many people have died in the name of communist ideology. Because the problem is, when other people aren't on board, what are you going to do? Well, we need our unity, so if you're not with us, you got to die. It's for the greater good, don't worry, we're going to have a better society. Mm. Every, every example of human effort without God has resulted in disaster. Is that too far? Is that too far? Seriously, you can challenge me on this. But this has been, I think, the story of humanity from the very beginning. There is something flawed, and what is flawed is our understanding. We think we know better than God, and we do not. And we do not. And so, when God saw people, he saw their wickedness, and he's like, we got to start over. So he sends the floodwaters, washes them all away, except for Noah's family, right? And then he tells Noah's family, okay, you got to repopulate the earth. But I want to show you, if you think that that is cruel, I, I want you to understand, God made a covenant with us. He promised something. He said, I'm never going to do it again. This is God's mercy. So I want you to see something, because it's going to connect to the story of the Tower of Babel in, in, in a very concrete way. Because those stories aren't that far from each other, right? They're almost back to back. 
So let's take a look at the end of the story. So this is Genesis chapter 9. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, right? That's the rainbow. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And then God goes on to say, every time I see that rainbow, I'm going to remember the covenant I made with you. Every time you see that rainbow, you're going to remember the covenant I made with you. It rains and maybe people who remember that, they start to shudder. And by the way, every uh, just about every civilization out there has some kind of flood myth or narrative story, right? And, and, you know, we just assume it's a myth, but why does every civilization have it? Maybe it's not a myth, right? And that people would see the rain and they shudder. They're like, oh, no, 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 maybe God's going to do it again. And he's like, no, 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 rainbow, remember, I make a covenant with you. I will never do that to you again. Why? Why? Because we're so awesome? Because we're so good? Because we're so lovable? No. It's because of the mercy of God. It's because of the grace of God that he doesn't destroy us. Right? That is what needs to be completely in our foundation. When you see Jesus being kind to us, when you see God forgiving us, it is not because we are so good. You do not start with the goodness of humanity. You start with the goodness of God. And in the goodness of God stands the corruption of man. Right? The incompleteness, the offness, the sin of humanity. That is at our foundation. It is not our awesomeness. So the foundation of all the grace we have is in God saying, I could destroy you, but I'm not going to. In my kindness, I forgive you, I love you, I will give you another chance. Now, by the way, I mean, we're going to go into this next week, but Noah, he wasn't perfect. It says he was a righteous man. Again, next week, we'll discuss what that means. But it wasn't, he wasn't perfect. Actually, right after this, he gets like super, super drunk super drunk. He goes in a cave, and I I don't know what this brother was doing, but he was naked, right? Butt naked in the the cave. And and his his sons come in. This this is in the Bible, right? By the way, look it up. (laughs) And and they go in the cave, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so shameful. Oh, this is gross, right? And they go in there, and because they look at his nakedness, one of the sons actually gets cursed. Noah curses his son. He's like, no, no, I'm done with you. Because he's the one who got drunk and got naked. Noah was not a perfect guy. And then there's going to be later stuff. I mean, just like sisters-in-law, daughters-in-law. I mean, it's some, like, it's not pleasant stuff. And Noah was not perfect. We are the descendants of Noah. Babel, descendants of Noah, right? They're also not perfect. They still have the stain of sin. It's not like God started over and then there were perfect people. 
right? But God decided to relent. God, I, I don't know why God did it. But maybe part of the point is so that you know that he could. Oof, I know. I know how that sounds. But you got to understand who God is. God is holy. God is within his rights to destroy when we are wicked because he created us. Right? It, it does not fit with a humanist narrative. But if you start with God, it actually makes sense. Right? And then we come to Babel. Right? And so if we skipped through Noah, then you'd be like, huh, okay, so I guess God's not going to destroy us. We're good, right? But, but look, look at what happens here. So this is the end of the story, right? So, uh, he's, so come, let us go down and smite them and destroy them. No, that's not what he does. He says, we're going to confuse their language. We're going to spread them out, right? I mean, we don't know what they're going to do. It's going to lead to disaster. That's the, that's the inference here. That if people are allowed to do the impossible, it's going to be bad news bears. God can start over again if he wants to, but remember, he made a covenant. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to blot them out. I'm not going to destroy them. But for their own good, I'm going to disperse them. That is the grace of God. Right? And so now, we are a people who are confused. <laughs> and we are people who are dispersed. We want to come together. It is one of our greatest longings is to come together as one, right? We want to come together, hold hands, and, and you know, spread out over every hillside and sway back and forth with the children of the earth singing, We are the world. We are the children, sponsored by Coca-Cola, right? Like, we, we want this beautiful image, you know, that of our own goodness. But the truth of the matter is, it's kind of ironic. God spreads us apart, right? He, he, he divides us. Now, in the kingdom of God, that's actually the point of the kingdom of God, is for us to come together. You look at Ephesians 1.10, 1, 1, 9, and 10. The whole plan, the whole mystery that has been germinating over all this time from the very beginning to Christ is that God wants to bring all things together, all people together under Christ. It is called the kingdom of God. But how does that happen? Does that happen because we are so good? Because we are so sophisticated? Because we decided to cooperate with each other? Never. It's never going to happen. When we try to come together... <laughs> We just break the world more. Have, have you ever met like, like somebody who seems perfect? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's like, just like a really, really attractive, good-looking person. It's got great muscles. They're really intelligent. They get every job they want. You ever met someone like that? You know, I don't know. It's like a celebrity. They're like a singer. They get a be- beautiful voice. Maybe they're a great athlete. They're usually just some of the most arrogant people, so prideful. Look at how good I am. Look at how great I am. Have you ever met a great soul? Somebody who just, they're generous and kind, and they know the world is not about them. I use this example sometimes. I mean, it's a little bit of a silly example, but there's this actor that I really admire, Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves, good-looking guy, right? He's like, 
you know, half Asian, half Caucasian. It's like the perfect mix. He's just like good looking dude. Okay, sorry, I don't mean perfect mix, but I meant that sometimes when, yeah, sorry, I'm getting myself in trouble, but he's an attractive dude, okay? That's all I'm saying. He's an attractive dude. Just sometimes, yeah, just, you know, good looking guy. So he, uh, at the height, of his popularity, right? Like, I mean, you hear these stories, these, these Hollywood people, they're so entitled, they think they're better than you, they're so arrogant, right? Height of his popularity is around the time when The Matrix comes out, one of my favorite movies, right? Just changed the game, you know? Right around that time, his young daughter dies. And then right after The Matrix comes out, his, his, uh, so his former girlfriend, who's his, his uh, daughter's mother, also dies. She dies in a car accident. And around that time, his best friend, River Phoenix, has a drug overdose. When you hear the stories about Keanu Reeves, you hear these stories. Again, I don't know the guy personally, but there's these stories where he'll take the entire crew out and, and you know, buy them nice meals. He, he'll take a pay cut so he can take care of the crew. You, know, you hear all these stories about how nice and generous he is and how humble he is. And I just wonder, is that because he's so good-looking? Is that because he's become so great because he makes really popular movies? Or is there something in his brokenness that has helped unite him with other people? Where he knows, you know what, I'm just like you. I wonder, I wonder, I don't know. But it does seem to me that many people who are great souls are not great because they think they're great. They're great because they have been broken. They know. They know the truth. There's no one who's above other people. Ah, oh, I'm better than you. This is how we create some of the worst evils on earth. When you think you are better than someone else. America, mm, we are so good. We're better than you. Oh, my gosh. You just know a lot of evil is about to go down. Am I right? But when we are able to look and say, you know what, we are broken. We're broken. Yeah, you're broken too. But this is something that can unite us. You don't become prideful then. You don't go around thinking that you're better than everyone. I don't know why God confused people but maybe it was so that we could find each other again, but find each other not on our terms, based on our greatness, but we could come together based on our weakness, and we could come together in Christ. Uh, this is kind of the closing scripture here. Uh, this comes from John 3.17. This is the, the, the verse right after the most famous, if I may say, the most famous scripture, right? John 3.16. John 3.17. So, you know, you know John 3.16, but John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. What is the, the, the inference here? He totally could have. He totally could have. We deserve it, right? We are broken. We are sinful. We are off, Right? but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he sent Jesus. 
Now, there's a lot of people that I think, you know, a lot of people, they look at Christianity, they're like, ah, I don't like the sin stuff. I don't like, you know, God smiting people. Let's just fast forward. Let's just fast forward to Jesus. Okay, now Jesus loves everyone. Jesus forgives everyone. End of story. You cannot start there. If you start there, it becomes on the basis of our goodness, our loveliness, our worthiness. But if you start with our brokenness, then you know, then you know, None of us deserve this grace. Nobody does. You can't become arrogant. You can't look at other people and be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Dude, you just kind of suck. You're just kind of lazy. You're kind of sinful. You know, you're, you're so, oh man, you're so gross and corrupt. You can never do that. You can never do that because you know, you know the truth. I'm a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. It's one of the... the the things that defines me as a, as a pastor, as a man, somebody who knows his own brokenness. Man, I am not a perfect dude. You know, and, and I, I, you know, we, we, we established this ministry, Living Grace Ministry, a place where we want to show the grace of Jesus Christ to anyone. You come in, you're addicted to drugs, you come in, and you're struggling with pornography, you come in and, and you, you have issues. You're arrogant, you're proud, you know? you're jealous, you're unforgiving, whatever the case may be. And you come here and our aim, our goal is to show you the grace of Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to get it twisted. It's not because you are so worthy. It's not. It's because God is so gracious right? There is a sense in which the sin that breaks the world has broken the world. It has shattered us, and it continues to shatter us. It is not good for us. We do not excuse it, but we can't do anything about it until we acknowledge first that honestly we're the problem. It's within us. You can't just fix it on your own. You need a Savior, right? That's why Jesus had to come into the world, that we can be saved. That's what it means. I know some people who don't like Christianity because they don't like the idea. I get it. I totally get it. But, but you got to track this. You got to be honest about this. They don't like the idea of needing a Savior. And this is the thing. If you believe you are so good on your own, then there are going to be people who are beneath you. But if you know the truth, we are all broken. We are all sinful. We are all in need of the grace of a loving Savior who promised to not destroy the world again in this way, but instead shows us compassion and kindness. It changes you. It changes the way you look at humanity. It changes the way you look at God, right? And that is what I want to be the foundation of my faith. The good news. God is good. I am not. He loves me anyways. It's beautiful. Can the praise team come up? I know that's a lot. There, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, I mean, there might be some things that, that, that were offensive. The gospel is offensive. It's what the scripture says. We like to think we're so good, and we're really not. But we don't stay there. That's the good news. We don't stay there. 
We don't rest in our sinfulness. We have to acknowledge it. But where we rest and where we need to rest is in the grace of Jesus Christ, in the love of God, completely, a thousand percent undeserved. But man, that's where I need to go again and again and again and again. Brothers and sisters, church, can you go there with me? Can we just take a moment? Let's just rest in that grace. As a matter of fact, let, let's just make this song the prayer that we rest in. I, I think that the, the lyrics fit perfectly about our brokenness and our need for a Savior. Let, let's just go into the song. Let's make this our, our closing prayer. <laughs>